If you worship regularly here, you'll know that we often begin with uh, some opening illustrations with some nice pictures on the screen. I don't have any this evening, not because I've been lazy, uh, but because I want you to use your imagination. And I want you to go back with me in time, way back to the first century, to the marketplace of a Near Eastern city. And if they had Google Earth in those days, we're going to zoom in on a particular part of the city to the market square. And not just the general market, I want us to focus in on one particular area of the market where what is being sold is not food or clothing or any other goods. What is on offer are people. It's a slave market. There are slaves of all kinds on offer. Male and female, young and old, black and white and every other colour. Now let's zoom in on one particular store. And on one particular man, try and imagine him in your mind's eye. He's just approaching his 30th birthday, though he probably doesn't keep count of when he was born. And he looks a lot older than 30 years old. He was born a slave. For his parents and their parents before them were also slaves. He has seven other brothers and sisters. But he is, to put it in crude terms, in a day where slaves were treated like animals, he is the runt of the litter. Small, rather ugly, not very intelligent. Moreover, moreover, you will notice, as every prospective buyer does, that he is crippled through a bad break in his leg, which was not cared for properly. In fact, this is the very reason why his previous owner has now sold him on to a slave trader. The slave trader is not too sure what he can make of him. And he's pretty sure he won't make much profit out of him if he can sell him at all. Even though he's very skilled in his trade. So when a rich nobleman from an aristocratic family draws alongside in his chariot, the slave trader pushes forward two young, strong male slaves and a beautiful female slave. However, the nobleman is not interested. Instead, he points to the crippled slave and asks, how much for that one? The trader names the price. Far too high, of course, but that's how you always begin setting a high price and bargaining downwards. But to his amazement, the nobleman agrees instantly, without further haggling, the transaction is done and the slave is taken into the waiting chariot. Eventually, they arrive at a huge estate and draw up beside a massive villa. The slave is brought out of the chariot into the courtyard and the master gives orders. His chains are removed and the nobleman says to him, 
You are now free. You are no longer a slave. Now, such an act, the paying of a price to set someone free from obligation is called redemption. And in this series we've been following, this short series, we began our series, Aspects of Love, with the theme of redemption. We focused on the fact, the amazing fact, that Jesus paid the price that we could never pay by dying in our place on the cross. So through faith in Him, we are redeemed. We are set free from sin and death and its power. But there is something even more astounding that follows. Let's go back to my story. The slave stands free, his shackles removed, as the rich nobleman says, you are now free, no longer a slave. But then he continues and he says to him, I wish to adopt you into my family and to make you my son, and the heir of everything you see. The slave, the ex-slave, is dumbfounded. Surely, there must be a mistake. Is it a dream? Or a sick joke? No, it's true. And as the days go by, the truth begins to sink in. He is, to use the words of our reading... No longer a slave, but a son and also an heir. Now, this seems an incredible and unlikely story, and I made it up. But the Bible, God's Word, uses the same idea to describe something far, far more incredible and far, far more unlikely that God should choose to adopt human beings as his children. And yet, it is true. From the practice we've just described, which was common among the Romans, pretty rare among Jews, the Bible describes another aspect of God's love by the term adoption. The word translated adoption is literally sonship, S-O-N, ship. But notice it applies equally to daughters as well as sons. For women as well as men are given the same privileges that once only applied to males. So how is it possible for you, for me, to become sons and daughters of God? The Bible describes adoption as a cooperative plan in which all three persons of the Godhead are involved. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to explore this a little further this evening. So let's start, as the story does start, with God and with the love of God the Father. The Apostle John in his first letter writes, God is love. And that love is shown in action. It's an active love, not just an emotional feeling. God shows his love in action towards the world, the world of people. 
So in the same letter, John exclaims that God displays his love in an amazing way. 1 John 3, verse 1, he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That decision to call, make human beings his children, was God's plan even before he created the world. Colin read those verses right at the beginning of the service from Uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians about God's choice of his children. Notice what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which is freely given us in the one he loves. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Now, what makes God's choice so remarkable, what makes his love so unusual, is that God chooses his children purely out of love, not through any merit on their own. Earlier this month, on the 4th of July, uh, some 80 people received honours from Her Majesty the Queen, at a ceremony at Holyrood Palace. Now, they were not chosen at random from a phone book or a lottery. No, they were honoured for things they had done. So, for example, I noticed that Rangers chairman David Murray received a knighthood for his services to business, not football, of course. You and I may choose an attractive person for a life partner, a skilled player for a member of your team, a clever person to work in your company. But God chooses his children, not because of who we are or what we have done, but despite who we are and what we have done. See, popular opinion thinks of human beings as being essentially good. Uh, Sometimes people say we're all God's children. But God's description of human beings is that we are born in sin, we grow up as rebels against his authority. That's the human condition. So, writing to the Christians in Rome, Paul describes their former state. He said, you were God's enemies. And this is not just the case with really bad people. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus was debating with the Jewish religious leaders of his day, uh, the religious elite, as it were. They prided themselves in being in a special relationship with God. They said, we're free children of Abraham. And Jesus tells them, no, you're not. You are slaves to sin. Because whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the consequence of all this, the expectation of the slave, is that the pay packet that we receive at the end of life is death. Eternal separation from God forever, deserving death. Romans 6 verse 23. Now, if this is true, and I hope you've grasped this, then it highlights God's amazing response. Look again at Romans 5, what it says. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I simply pause and ask, have you grasped how amazing this is? There's a test to see whether you fully appreciate this. 
And it's our response to this kind of love that God has shown us. You see, the thought that God chooses his children purely on the basis of love is a challenge to any of us who think that we're good enough. You know, we sort of say, well, I'm not surprised God chose me. In fact, I'm, I'm surprised it's taken him so long, really. I'm such a good person. And I'm better than the average. And really, of course God chose me. I'm a nice person. If we think we qualify in some way for God's love. But maybe you're sitting there and saying, listen, I'm the last person that God would ever want in his family. I'm not sure I'd want myself in my family. It's an encouragement to those of us who think we are not good enough. And so we're excluded from God's family. You see, the test is this. That if you really understand what this is about, you are constantly amazed about God's love. The genuine child of God sings with John Newton, genuinely, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if you sing that, a lot of people, it's now sung and people like it, but I wonder when people sing it, do they really think, yeah, that's right, that's me, I'm a, I'm a wretch. John Newton knew he was. Do you and I recognize that? If so, we sing with great amazement, amazing that God should love me, of all people. So in love, the Father desires that we might be adopted into his family, that our status might be changed from that of a slave to a son. But in order to do this, a price has to be paid in order to free the slave. And that leads to the second person of the Trinity and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Writing to the Christians in Corinth who were a real ragbag of the lowest strata of society, degenerate in their behavior, <clears throat> before they came to faith in Christ, the Apostle Paul says to them, for you know... You've experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, the Father had the plan to bring us into his family. And the Son willingly cooperated, in a way that we cannot fully understand, but the Son willingly cooperated with that divine adoption plan. We read it in Galatians 4. But when the time had fully come, God's timing is perfect. His timetable in history. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive, what? The full rights of sons. The Lord Jesus Christ came into our world and lived under God's perfect law. He never broke it. In word or thought or deed. He did what none of us has ever been able to do, even the best of us let alone the worst. He kept God's law perfectly without sin. And so he was able to pay the price we couldn't pay, the entrance price to bring us into God's family. You remember the old hymn you sang at school, There is a green hill far away. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And God the Father showed that he accepted that payment for our sin by raising Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is now in the place of highest honor at God's right hand. And he's able, therefore, to bring us into God's family. Through Jesus and what he did, you can be part of God's family. Listen to what Jesus achieved. These are not so familiar verses. Some of the others you've probably heard before if you've been in church. But uh, try and follow closely these verses in Hebrews 2. 
the writer says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, and he came to earth. Now he's been exalted, crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing, notice what it says, many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy, those who are made holy, are of, what? The same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We are brought into God's family through Jesus as God's sons and Jesus' brothers. What an amazing thought, isn't it? That if you're a Christian, that before the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am not ashamed to call this person my brother, part of my family. Really amazing. So how do you become sons and daughters of God? Our reading gives us the answer. How do we become God's sons? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3 Verse 26, faith means accepting what God has done for us, accepting his offer to join his family. It means abandoning all your own efforts to qualify for God's family by merit. When I was at Sunday school, we taught that faith stood for F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I take him, or I trust him. In the words of another famous hymn, it's nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. So that when we do that, when we come trusting in Christ, not in ourselves, God brings us into his family. He forgives us, but he makes us his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. But there is a third and final step in the adoption process. This really is a wonderful story, and only God could have dreamed it up. Uh, the third person of the Trinity, the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and finally, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Look again, if you've got the Bible still open, at Galatians 4, verse 6. When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Uh, William Hendrickson, in his commentary, writes, Earthly parents may love an adopted child ever so much. Nevertheless, they are to a certain extent unable to impart their spirit to that child. But when God adopts, he imparts to us the spirit of his son. Now, you see, this, this is why the Bible and why Jesus talked about becoming his follower. It's like being born again. Being born again of God's spirit. God comes to live within us. He not only forgives us, he comes to live within us by his spirit to make us truly his children. By nature, we receive a new nature. And one of the first signs that that happens is that you begin to experience a new intimacy with God. The word used here, Abba, is an Aramaic word. It's a word used of affection and trust by a small child to address a parent, a father, daddy. The Apostle Paul used the same word in Romans 8. He says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And again, here's a wonderful test. Do you have that? It's hard to describe really, isn't it? Someone once said in my dialect in in Derbyshire, it's better felt than telt. But do you have that experience of knowing that you're a child of God, that when you pray, when you seek God, that his spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are God's child? And that is not all. Our verses tell us that we have a future prospect. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. But there is a cost to belonging to God's family. Because you've changed sides when you become a Christian. Apostle Paul says there is present suffering. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share also in his glory. Being a Christian, being part of this family, means suffering through identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of opposition he faced. But in the meantime, we wait for our final adoption. Adoption begins now, but one day it will be complete when we receive new bodies, like our Lord's resurrection body. Romans 8 again says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We're adopted now. That's marked by the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. It's the first fruits, but there is more to come. We have this great future prospect that awaits us. One day we'll live with God's family forever. One of the words the New Testament uses to describe this is the word deposit. It says the Holy Spirit is given like a down payment that God one day will come back and claim us to be with himself forever. The Lord Jesus Christ will return again. Uh, the word translated deposit there in modern Greek is the word used for an engagement ring that a young man gives to a woman and he says to a young woman, he says, this is the engagement ring. This means I'm committed to you and one day I will make you my bride. And we look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns for his church, which is the bride. Great future prospects. So the work of adoption, it involves the love of God the Father, wanting to make us his children. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in willingly cooperating in it. The work of the Holy Spirit, that fellowship, that intimacy, of making us part of God's family and making us part of God's family by nature. Almost finished, but let's finish where we started. We began with that ancient slave market. An invented story of something I doubt ever happened. A crippled slave set free and made a son and heir by a rich nobleman. But here's something even more unlikely, which could come true for you today. What God offers. Perhaps today, God is passing through the slave market in Edinburgh. Maybe in this church there are slaves. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to sinful habits. You're far from God. In fact, you don't like Him very much and His Lord irritates you. But maybe God is passing through the slave market here in Charlotte Chapel this evening. And He's calling you into His family. He offers you redemption, the forgiveness of your sin. But not only that, He offers you adoption. The gift of His Spirit. You may say, well, that would be wonderful, but 
I could never live that kind of life. No, of course not. That's why God gives you his spirit to make you in reality what you could never be. And God's diverse family is made up from people from all sorts of backgrounds. So in Galatians we read, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. It's the greatest privilege in the world to belong to God's family, to be adopted into his family. In this church alone, you'll find probably around 30 different nationalities who belong to that family. Some of us knew nothing of God's love for many years, but God drew us into his family. Others grew up in a Christian family, maybe in a church like this or this church, but that doesn't make you a member of God's family. We all come the same way to the level cross, level ground of the cross of Jesus. But it involves a choice on our part. See, Jesus passes by and he calls us to belong to him. He calls us to turn from our sin and put our trust in him. But we can reject his offer. At the beginning of his gospel, the apostle John writes about that crucial choice. Notice what he says. He, Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So I conclude by asking you, what is your response? Have you received him, Christ? And have you believed in his name? God is calling you this evening. This is the good news of Jesus Christ the good news of the gospel I urge you to respond while you can and even this evening that transformation that new birth that new life can take place in your life and you can go out of here you could have come in here a slave and you can go out of here as a son but you have to receive him you have to believe in his name let's pray together